God, we are here in your presence and we are thankful. We are grateful for bringing us through another day. And you never left us, you never forsake us. We thank you for the salvation that we have through Jesus and how we can stand here in your presence knowing that we are deeply cared for, we are deeply loved. For you took us out of our Egypt, brought us into your presence so that we could be your children and have hope and have peace and have a purpose for living. Holy Spirit, we ask that you teach us now from your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. If you would find your find your way over to John chapter eight, as we continue our journey through the Bible and taking a look at John. If you're watching online, I want to encourage you um, to get maybe some crackers, and grape juice, or some kind of juice. We're going to have communion at the at the end of the message tonight, so we want to encourage you to have those elements ready when we do that. God's doing some amazing things, really cool stuff. Uh, this last Monday night, we didn't do our normal harvest uh, outreach, but we had over 1,600 gospel tracks all go out throughout the neighborhoods, and that was amazing. That's, that's actually uh, like three times more kids than we normally get on a, on a harvest outreach, to be able to do that in the neighborhoods. And I had a, it, what was really fun for me was sitting in my driveway and having little kids come up, and they go, I know you. And so we got, and our other ones come up, hey, it's Pastor Kerry. And so we were able to talk with them and, and do that. So it was, it was very, very cool. Something else is going on, and, and Tom mentioned that Next Gen is on uh, Sunday night. So this is a special one in that we have a young couple, uh, Zolt and Emma, a young couple that actually uh, we met well over like five or six years ago when uh, we did outreaches in Romania to the Christian camps, and we did the, the summer camps that were there. Well, Zolt was a student there. Emma was a student at the camps. Well, as it goes, they ended up meeting each other and growing into a relationship, and then they got married, and now they have a child. And Zolt is being um, set up with Marcella, mentored, to actually come on as, as his youth pastor there in Romania. And so they're here visiting um, this weekend and then also the church in Atlanta. So on Sunday night, if you have the opportunity, you are welcome to come. And we're just doing a a potluck and meeting with Zolt and Emma and hearing the the vision that they're doing and praying over them. Because these are partners in ministry. We're we're able to go and and to do ministry. And Lord willing, we'll send a team and do another outreach um, in Romania. And and we would be working with Zolt and Emma that's there. And it's really, really cool. It's a great story. So you've got to come Sunday night to hear more of it within that. So a lot of stuff's really going on. The other thing that we're working on that I'm, I'm finalizing is um, a potential another Israel trip in 2024. I've got the contract and everything. I'm waiting for one more piece and then we'll be able to launch that. But if you're interested in going back to Israel in um, the first week of April, right after Easter in 2024, we have that it's 13 days and we get one whole day in Petra half a day in Jerash, and all the cool stuff. So those of you that went on the last trip, we did. it was kind of a whirlwind, so this time we're pausing a little bit going further. But tonight we are going to be at the Temple Mount. 
and at the Temple Mount. Jesus is, is on the Temple Mount in the courtyard, and he is conducting what John would call the, the Feast of Tabernacles discourse, or this discourse. And one of the things that he's challenging is a group of people that really believed that they had it all together. Now, have you ever met somebody that thought that they had it all together? These Jewish leaders thought they had it all together. They thought that they had cornered the market on faith. And that they had everything settled in their mind, that they were saved, and, and really trying to figure that out. One of the challenges that, that we have is how do you determine somebody that really is truly a believer? Have you ever struggled with trying to figure out if someone really is a Christian or not a Christian? Like, they talk a good game, but their actions just don't quite line up. Jesus is going to challenge the religious institution in our, in our message today as we take a look at this, and really trying to figure out how a person can take a look at themselves, but how you can look at other people. And one of the challenges is, where is the origin of your faith? Where do you come from? Who is your spiritual father? And, and much of the way that we find out is by, based on behavior. Like most children that are adopted, they're adopted into a family because they've left their birth family, they're into another one. But there's always this ache of, where did I come from? Who are my birth parents? What are they like? What are those traits that, that we have? And so oftentimes, children that have been adopted will search out their birth parents to find out their heritage in those things, and it's good. And if, it's, if they come from a good family, it's a good thing. If, if they struggle, then, then they might struggle because their heritage and their family is not so good within this. And the same thing is true spiritually. The question I want to pose to you as we get into this is, who is your spiritual father? Because that, it really boils down to that. Are you, are you born from above, or are you, you born... From below, because your behavior really reveals who your father is, and that's, in a nutshell, how you can tell if somebody really is a Christian. There's a lot of people that name the name of Christ, isn't there? A lot of people call themselves Christian. So how do you really know? Well, Jesus is challenged by the religious leaders on the Temple Mount in this this discourse, and part of what is going on is there is this innate hatred and jealousy against Jesus. That is there. It is a life-dominating sin that has created a bondage for these people. And Jesus, both in love and rebuke, is going to address this. The other problem with the Jews is they trusted their heritage. If you ever talk to somebody and say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. You go, well, how is it that you're a Christian? Well, my parents were a Christian. My grandparents were a Christian. My, my grandparents were members of the church. Well, does that make you a Christian? So, so the Jews were saying, well, you know, we're of God because of our heritage, because of Abraham, and we'll unpack that a little bit. But we gotta, when it all boils down, real faith is more than just an intellectual assent. Real faith is more than just saying, yeah, I think so I am. Real faith and a real transformation is a spiritual work that God does in transforming the life. And so Jesus is going to challenge the status quo of these Jews that are on the Temple Mount who were controlling all of these people and teaching religiosity that was putting people into bondage. And he says, no more of this. 
I'm going to challenge this. So as he does, let's take a look at it in verse 31. As he, he really challenges the people to explain what true faith and with true faith comes true spiritual freedom. Notice he says in verse 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying, and this is a continuing discussion. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, the first thing that he challenges is really this freedom, authentic faith. We live in a world that wants to put bondage on us, but do you realize it doesn't matter what the world does, you can still live as free? But how do we live free? It is, it is not the, the, the freedom that the world preaches and teaches, but it's the freedom of Christ. It's the continuing relationship in faith. Notice what he says. If, and that sets up a condition. That word if there is in the third class condition, which means it's potential. If, this is the potential. This can be yours. If you continue in my word, so that is the potential. It's an action. It's the condition that you establish. If you continue in my word, then that action proves out that you're truly a disciple. In other words, your faith is demonstrated by your actions. You're not saved by works, but works reveal your faith. The, the actions that you do reveal what you really believe in within this. And so within this, if you, he says, if you continue in my word, if you continue in my teaching, then you are a true disciple. And, and within this, it's, it's believing that truth. There's a lot of people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but they never, ever get into God's Word. Yeah, I don't need the Bible. Yeah, I don't need church. But I'm a Christian. What does Jesus say? No. If you continue in what? In my Word, which has a lot of implications. One of the implications is that if you continue in obedience to my Word, Right? It's not just studying the Word, but it's the application of the Word that you studied. In other words, if you continue this ongoing action within this, within this and knowing the Word, if you do not continue in the Word, then did you ever really believe? Or was it just an emotional leap? Or a bailout? In John chapter 5, verses 37-38, we read, And the Father who sent me, He has testified of me. You've neither heard His voice at any times nor seen Him. You do not have His word abiding in you. Note, for you do not believe Him who sent me. Which implies that says that the word of God has to, what? Abide in you. I've shared with you before, the distance between heaven and hell is how much? 18 inches. It's the distance between your head and your heart. We can have it up here, but if it's not in here and part of our life, then we're not continuing in the Word. And, and really continuing in the Word, the constant perseverance of saying, yes, God, you said it, I believe it, that settles it. And living according to, to that really demonstrates that true faith. We all know people that at one point or another attended church or named the name of Christ, and then they drifted away. And you say, well, are they really a Christian? Well, that's between them and God, but I can tell you this, if you're looking for evidence 
persevering in the faith or continuing in the faith in the Word of God really is evidence. So here's the deal. If you want to know and you want to remove all doubt, continue in the Word. Then there's no doubt. But those that don't continue in the Word or in obedience, well, I don't know. It, it, this perseverance, as I said, is not a work unto salvation. Perseverance is the results of salvation. Do you get that? It is not like, I've got to white-knuckle this to get into heaven. No. I'm persevering in my faith because it's now part of my DNA. It's who I am. It, it, I've been transformed, and so I want to do this. Not that I have to. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have become partakers of Christ. Note, if we hold fast the, fit, the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. He says, we have become unified partakers in Christ if we hold fast from the beginning to the end. There's going to a lot of, be a lot of people in heaven that stand before Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these good works in your name? And Jesus is going to say what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Why? Because they're not in relationship. Now, this all is setting up the stage for the Jews, because as we're going to read in a moment, these Jews wanted to kill Jesus. Well, it seems to me there's a command that says, you shall not what? Kill. We take a look at this, you shall not murder within this, and they're violating that very word. But here's the deal. He says this, if you continue in my word, this potential, then you are truly my disciples, that's the foundation, and that word in Greek is chi, this is added to, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. Where's true freedom come from? A personal relationship with Jesus. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Free of what? Free of the bondage of sin, free of guilt, free of shame, free of fear, free of anxiety. Why? Because the truth is abiding in you. And every time Satan tries to put you under bondage and tell you what a, what a jerk you are, you say, no, I'm a child of God. I belong to, to Jesus Christ who has saved me. I know Jesus, and knowing Jesus is knowing the truth. And I can hang my hat on that. And he's the one that makes me free. No one else. The problem with the Jews is they were looking for freedom in the law. But the problem with trying to find freedom in the law is will you ever find freedom in the law? Absolutely not, because the, freedom, the law brings bondage. The law always reminds me what a sinner I am. But Jesus tells me that my sins are forgiven. That's freedom. Question. Are there a lot of people in this world today that are in bondage? Sure. What would it be like? Picture in your mind those people you know that are in bondage. Maybe they're in bondage of guilt or anxiety or depression. And they're just depressed or they're anxious. What would it be like? To have that whole cloud lifted from them. It'd be freedom. Well, how do we get there? 
to the extent that you abide in Christ would be the extent of the freedom that you experience. Because you fall more and more in love with Christ and you experience His power and His presence. There's a lot of people that think they know the truth. But what they really do is they proof text the truth. Jesus basically is saying, I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he brings that freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Religion is bondage. It's legalism. It holds you down. Because religion is nothing more than a man-made set of rules that sets an expectation that God said that expectation has been met in Jesus. And so these Jews, they kept heaping more and more and more on the people. And Jesus is declaring to everyone in this courtyard, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, the problem is that the, these religious people, they didn't get it. They heard the word slavery and it set them off. It triggered them. In verses 33 and 34, it says this, They answered him and said, We are Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You'll become free? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So the prideful Jews were offended and they said, well, we're the sons of Abraham. We're the elite. We're the ones that, that are free. We've never been slaves. Well, wait a minute, I think you were. Right? For the Assyrians, the Babylonians, in Egypt, were you not slaves? But they forgot all of that. They forgot the fact that even now... They were under Roman occupation and didn't have any freedom. Have you ever met somebody that was so blinded by their own sin that they didn't realize that they were in bondage? That, that even in, like an addiction, I'm free. You're an addict. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Your addiction has got you in bondage. Yeah, but I get to come and go and do as I like. No, you're in bondage. Sin is bondage within this. For these religious leaders, spiritual pride was their bondage. Their ego was bondage. They had to keep feeding the ego, and they were always within this condition of sin. And it was the pride that kept them from believing, from being able to be in that place of being set free. It always amazes me that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, is standing in front of the religious leaders. He is the Messiah that the, that the Word said was here. And these guys are clueless. You think that they would have said, yes, we believe. But they didn't. Why? Because Jesus didn't fit their presuppositions. He didn't fit the box. And so they wouldn't believe. In fact, they refused to believe. And, and so they were in slavery. And, and it was their attitude that kept them 
in slavery. And so what he says to them in verse 34, he says, Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Do you know what the recidivism rate of sin is? The recidivism rate of sin. You know what that is? 100%. We will sin. Why? Because it's in our nature to sin. That's why Jesus, when He died on the cross, He, he died for all our sins, past, present, and future. It is the blood of Jesus that continues to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And until we're set free from this body of sin, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 7, we will continue in this tension and this struggle of sin, but we don't have to be bound to it. Because we have a Savior that has set us free. Yet the ones that are doing the sin or the lifestyle of sin are in a bondage to sin. And notice it's interesting because he uses the word sin and it's singular, not plural. As a believer... We are always at war with our sinful flesh. Understand that. We don't have to be a slave to it, but we are at war with it. But for the non-believer, they are always a slave to their sinful flesh. They're not at war with it. They're under bondage. Sin is the taskmaster. So what Jesus does is He sets us free from our sin and the bondage to that sin, but we will wage war in this body against sin every day of our life until we are set free. But the one that is not regenerated, not born again, not saved, will always be a slave to sin and will always sin. Because it's part of their lifestyle, it's their DNA. In John, as he would write later in his first letter, in 1 John Chapter 3, verse 4, he says this, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And then later in verses 8 and 9, he says, The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil is sin from the beginning. The Son of God appears for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who was born of God practices sin because his seed abide, his being Jesus, abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. You say, well, wait a minute, Carrie. I thought you said that we were at war with this. Yes. Because in my spirit, I've been set free from bondage of sin, and I don't want to sin anymore. But in my flesh, my flesh drives me to sin. So there's this, this tension that exists. But Jesus very clearly, and, and John in writing this, the one who practices this lawlessness and this sin is of the devil. Why? Because the seed of Christ, that transformation hasn't taken place. If you know people that do not live a righteous life, and you say, all you've got to do is change what you're doing, that's not going to work. That's religion. For them to be set free, what has, what has to change? What's the thing that's got to change? It's their heart. The seed, which is the, the essence of life, has to be in your heart. It has to be changed. You want a new life? Say, God, change my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of my sin and give me a new heart and new life. As John would say, the one that is born of God does not practice sin because his seed abides in him. Cause me to be born again. 
that new heart, that new life. And then you're made free. If you notice, only Jesus can set us free. In verse 35, it says, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Notice, who makes you free? Jesus. Jesus. In, in this, slaves don't have any freedom, do they? Does a slave have any security either? No. Can a slave be bought and sold and transferred to somebody else? Absolutely, right? Because a slave's life is not their own. But if you're a son, you'll remain in the house. Why? Because it's your house. You're in the house of your father. You're not bought and sold like a piece of furniture. You've received the house and the inheritance because you're a child of God. A lot of people struggle with this idea of, of security. You know who the most secure person is eternally? A child of God. Because you've received that inheritance as a child of God, as a son or as a daughter. But the slave to sin is sold to sin. And sin will call you out and take you wherever it will because it's driven by the enemy Satan. The example that we can see is the difference between Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was the son of a slave woman. Did he receive inheritance? No. Hagar was a, was a slave. But Isaac had the inheritance. Even though Ishmael was firstborn, Isaac was the one that was given the inheritance. And that inheritance could not be taken away because he was secure as the child of Abraham. Question, are you a child of God? If you are a child of God, then your inheritance of eternal life can never be taken away. It is your inheritance. But if you're a child of the devil, there is no inheritance of eternal life. And you'll be bought and sold at the whim of the devil to be taken wherever. The Son has eternal security and is free. If you notice in verse 36, he says, So if the Son makes you free within this. And again, that's third class. If the Son makes you free, there's that potential. Then you are free indeed. That's a declarative statement. Because your condition has changed. You've been taken out of the slavery of sin in the world and you've been brought into the sonship. Jesus, as he's speaking to these Jewish leaders, would have fully understood the difference between the slave and the child. The one that is a bond slave that has been brought into the household and, and a slave of righteousness. And notice what he says in Paul in Romans 6.16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. And then verse 18, and having been freed from sin, you become a slave to righteousness. Slave to righteousness. Well, you say, well, Carrie, I thought you said I was free. I am. I am free. I am free by choice to make myself a slave unto doing the right things 
for my heavenly Father. That word slave is doulos, bond slave. There is a condition in slavery in the Old Testament where a slave would be bought or sold or wherever the case. But if the, if the master was a good master and you chose that you wanted to stay with that master, after your term was up, you could say, yes, master, I want to serve you. You're a good master. And then the master would take you to the doorpost and he would take and he would pierce your ear and you would be called a doulos or bond slave, which means that I'm a slave by choice within that. And so we see this, I am a slave by choice. I don't have to do the things that are right. I choose to do the things that are right. It is by my choice. Why? Because it's out of relationship with God. Not that God is some kind of taskmaster, but He's a loving Father. Wouldn't it be so cool if your kids always did the things that pleased you? That you never had to tell them what to do. That you never had to discipline them. That they always did the right thing. That they would come to you, Mom, Dad, I love you so much. Can I take out the trash for you? Can I, can I make the bed? Can I clean the bathrooms for you? Mom, Dad, can I go outside and pick up after the dog? Or Mom, I love you. Dad, I love you so much. Can I make you breakfast in bed? You would fall over. You see, it comes out of this relationship. Mother's Day and Father's Day could be every day. But we have this tension that is in us. It's, it's being able to serve with the right heart. And that really comes from that right relationship. It's a right faith relationship. So how do we get there? Verses 37 to 38, by accepting Jesus as God's Son, which these religious leaders did not do. And Jesus is pushing back. Verse 37, he says, And I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. And I speak the things which I have seen, which my Father therefore before you also do the things which you have heard from your Father. So one of the challenges that these guys had was <clears throat> they were claiming heritage with Abraham. Abraham is our father, therefore we're good. That we are, we are doing the things that are part of the covenant relationship that Abraham had established a long time ago. Now, I want you to remember way, way back when we were in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 17 and chapter 15, that whole section. Remember that? And there was this whole covenant relationship. And that time God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave the year of the Chaldees and I want you to go to a place that I, that I haven't shown you. And, and I want to make a covenant with you between you and my, between me and your seed. And I'm going to make you as... Your seed is the, the sands of the seas and the stars in the sky. Remember that whole conversation. And he gets into this Abrahamic covenant and, got, and Abraham says yes. And he was a righteous man. And Abraham believed in God. And it says it was counted for him righteous. Well, we're righteous because of Abraham. Question. Can you borrow somebody else's righteousness? Can you say... You know, my grandfather was a pastor, therefore I must be a Christian. Can I borrow the righteousness of somebody? No. 
But they were saying that we are under the covenant. In other words, this covenant agreement that Abraham had made a long time ago was covering us. This covenant agreement within this. And Jesus says, if you were of Abraham and you're not. Because Abraham heard the word of God and believed it. How do I know you're not of the covenant? Because you're hearing the word of God and you're rejecting it. You see the difference? I'm a Christian because I go to Warren Community Fellowship. No. You're a Christ follower because your life has been changed. You attend the membership class on Sunday. It doesn't give you a go-to-heaven free card. You can't get... I can guarantee when you show up, you know... Before Jesus, at the great white throne judgment, he'll say, you know, why should I let you in? Because I'm a charter member of WCF. That will not flow. The question will be, what did you do with Jesus, with the Word? If you were a child or if Abraham was your father, you would have done life like Abraham. You you would do the works of Abraham. You would have faith like Abraham. There's a lot of people that claim God is their Father and Jesus is their Lord, but their actions are leaving them way short. You say, well, Carrie, I thought we weren't supposed to judge people. You're right. We don't judge salvation. But we can judge fruit. We can judge actions. Does it line up with the Word of God? Does it line up with Jesus? Does it line up with Scripture? Jesus is representing the Father to the Jews. And the Jews have murder in their heart. They want to kill Jesus. If you were really, and I want you to think about the consistency of this, if you were really of the Father, then why would you try to kill His Son? Who is God incarnate? You see how inconsistent that is? It doesn't work. Abraham knew God, was in relationship with God, yet they want to kill him. So Jesus challenges him. In fact, later on in, in verse 44 of chapter 8, he says, You are of your father the devil, and you do what, and you want to do the desires of your father, meaning the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a father of lies. For he's a liar and the father of lies. In other words, you can only do what your father shows you to do. Okay, Gary, how do I know that somebody is a Christian? Look at their life. Who's their dad? Who do they represent? And we're talking about one as a lifestyle. Not the tension of sin and flesh. The lifestyle. Jesus could only do the things that his father showed him to do. What do we do? What do you do? Do you love like God loves? Or do you hate like Satan hates? Do you seek the best of others as the father does? Or do you seek to destroy people like Satan does? Do you seek to sacrifice yourself like the Father does? 
Or do you seek to gratify yourself like Satan does? These are the challenges that we have to face, that we look at, and we have to ask ourselves the hard question. The Son of God is a willing slave to the righteousness of God. The sinner can only do what the devil shows him to do. And there's a difference, huge difference. As we look at the world today, we see a great apostasy and people falling away from the faith. Or, as we look at the world today, do we see a, a whole lot of people that were never in the faith? And their true colors are being shown. Jesus is challenging that, as should we. So he goes on in verses 39 to 41, saying, look at, as he pushes back even harder. And he says, and they answered and they said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, well, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. And Abraham did so. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So you look at this, and, and again, they push him back. What are they pushing back on? We are of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Question. Is it wrong to call somebody out in their own self-deception? Or is it loving to call somebody out if they're self-deceived? It's very loving. While there's confrontation here, it is loving to say, look at you are self-deceived. You think you're right, but you are wrong. And if you don't change this, you're going to suffer. There's a lot of people that have a false sense of security because of all of these, these things that they think they believe. Interesting enough, a recent survey stated that 70% of the people in the United States consider themselves Christians. 70%. Would you agree with that statistic? I would say yes. I agree that 70% of the people in the United States consider themselves Christians. But it doesn't mean that they are. 61% of the people in Oregon, considers themselves Christians. Would you agree with that? No. Actually, they do. But they're not. Why? Because they're self-deceived. They've come up with their own form of Christianity or their own form of religion, which is different than what God's definition is. It's interesting, when Jesus said, if you are Abraham's children and you're not, that if there is actually a second class condition, which means if you are Abraham's children and you are not, why? Because you don't listen. Romans 4.3 says this, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him righteousness, but you don't believe God and you want to kill him. So who, who is their father? Their father is the devil. Now, Jesus called them out. And he says, you're doing the deeds of your father, meaning that they're saying, and they say, well, we're not born of fornication. We have one father. They are not. They're claiming a statement that was made by God in Exodus 4.22. 
to Moses when he said, And then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. But it doesn't mean that everybody from that point is always going to be saved. There is a, a false teaching that goes around today. It's called universalism. Have you ever heard of it? You know what universalism is? Universalism is, a, is the, the, the teaching that says everybody goes to heaven. Everybody. Does everybody go to heaven? No. They don't. There's only one way to heaven. And that's to confess your sins to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. And to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins that separate you from God. And put your faith in His sacrifice. And that as He died and was buried and rose again, by faith you're trusting and placing your faith in Him as your Lord and Savior. And by doing so, God does a regenerative work of giving you His Spirit and causing you to be born again. That you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved, Romans tells us. That's how you're saved. And so you have to make that, that commitment. God only has children, not grandchildren. You are, you are not a child of God because of some inheritance that some, or, or righteousness that somebody else made, as I said. In John 1, 12-13 says, But as many as received Him, note, as many, who? As many, not everyone, but as many received them, to them... He gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who what? What's the key word? Believe in His name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but the will of man, but born of what? God. God causes you to be born again. And that's how God becomes your father. And if God is your Father, then you're going to love Jesus. Verses 47, 42 to 47. And Jesus said, If God were your Father, and He's not, you would love Me, and you don't. For I proceed forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on My own initiative, but He sent Me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you can't hear My word. For you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he's a liar and a father, the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God Here's the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Which brings us to our second point. How do I know? How do I know that I'm a Christian? One, your behavior reflects the righteousness of God. Two, you hear the word of God. You hear God speak. Have you ever heard God speak? You say, well, I haven't heard him audibly. Some people would hear this still, small voice. Some people could hear God audibly. I wouldn't put it past God. It would scare the bejeebies out of me. I hear God speak through His Word. 
It is the word of God that speaks. We have a worship song that says, word of God speak. Let it flow like rain. When we get to a place where we are so focused to hear and hearing God speak, we know and we are affirmed that God has adopted us as kids. I talk to my kids regularly. My kids know my voice. And they hear me. And and they listen. But if you don't hear God speak, how do you know you're a child of God? You should be able to hear your father speak to you. You say, Carrie, I'm having a hard time. Let me help you. First, make sure your relationship is right. Which means you confess your sin. Even if you're a Christian, if you're harboring sin, hatred, malice, any of those things, they're going to hinder you from hearing the Word of God. But if you don't hear the Word of God, first, make sure that your heart's right, that you're saved. Because the natural man cannot hear the Word of God. The unregenerated, the dead person cannot hear the Word of God. You have to be born again. But second... Get rid of the sin in your life so that you can hear the Word of God speak. Third, remove the distractions. Get rid of the noise. And just listen. Be still and know God. Be still and listen. When we read in the book of Revelation, as Jesus writes to the church through John, every time he writes to the church, he says, He who has an ear to hear, let him what? Hear what the Spirit says. Hear what the Spirit says. This is not a religion, it's a relationship with your Heavenly Father who speaks. You can't hear my word because you do not have that relationship with me. How do we know? Well, again, John would write in 1 John 5, 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Starts with faith. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. But they want to kill Jesus. Therefore, they can't even hear Him. And without the Spirit of God, you can't understand God. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, but a natural man does not accept this, the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they are, note, spiritually appraised. You know one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is? Filter. He takes the Word of God and filters it in a manner that we can comprehend it and understand it. If you do not have the filter, you will not understand. I pray... Every time I open up this book, Holy Spirit, teach me. Open the eyes of my understanding. Speak to me. Now, the problem with these Jews is they were displaying the, the behavior of their father, the devil. And there is a distinction. In John 3, 6-7, as he spoke with Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed, I said to you, you must be born again. But the father of lies is lying to them. 
and, and silencing the voice of God so they can't hear. And because of the devil, they cannot believe. And because they're of the devil, the father of the liar, they will not accept Jesus. Question. How can somebody then come to faith if the devil is blocking their mind and they are natural man so they can't hear God? How is it that they can come to faith? Because God opens the eyes of the blind and opens the ears to hear. It's a work that God does. In John 6, 45 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him in. I will raise him up on the last day. It's written by the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. How is one born again? Because God comes to you. You're here tonight, you're either watching, or you're here tonight because God has drawn you in. And He's given you an invitation to come. And you heard, and you responded. Do you know that that invitation is universal, that God is out drawing all these people in, but you've got to receive it and respond to it. And not turn away. What happens if you continually turn away and turn off that invitation? Think about that. What happens if you just continue, no thanks God, no thanks God, no thanks God, no thanks God, no thanks God. Right? You're cutting off the opportunity to hear from God. Your heart becomes hard. And you, and you, you remain spiritually dead. We don't become the children of God because we're great. We become... Children of God because of God's great grace. God did not choose you because you are amazing. God chose you because He's amazing. And He's calling you out. Jesus ends this in verses 48 to 51. He says this, And the Jews said to Him, Do we not say rightly that you are a, that you are a Samaritan? That you're a demon, and so they start slamming him. Jesus answers, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Again, third class condition. If anyone keeps my word, you're not going to see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you're a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also and you said, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. And the prophets died too. Whom you, who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I do glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I do know him. And I say, you don't know him, but you'd be a liar I know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, and he uses this word, ego ami. That's the name of God. Before Abraham was, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him because Jesus hid himself and he went out to the temple. Why? Because he declared himself to be God. 
The Jews then slandered. They had had enough. You know what happens when you get too close to somebody's um, conviction? When you push, when you push, and you push, and then they get to that level where they can't answer? They get violent. They start fighting back. And that's what they did. Jesus said, look at your father is, is, is the devil and he's a slanderer. They said, yeah, and you're a demon and you're a, you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. <laughs> you, you, you can't get more slanderous for a Jew than that. You're a demon-possessed Samaritan. You're the worst of the worst. He says, no, I honor my father. And so they get, Jesus gets into this verbal sparring with them. But he says, you've rejected my word. But you know, they keep calling out the name Abraham as if it was going to be the key that unlocks everything and says, no, it doesn't work that way. If you were of Abraham, you'd rejoice because Abraham rejoiced to see me. In fact, I've seen Abraham. They're like, well, how did you do that? Because he lived a long time ago. And then Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. That would mean he would be eternal. He would declare himself to be God. He declared himself the fact that it's the Father that gives him glory. I can tell you this, and this is a lesson that, that I love in this passage. Jesus did not seek approval from any of these guys. The only one he sought approval from was the Father. He begged them and said, please, would you listen? And they said, nope, we're of Abraham. We're not accepting you. And he didn't let them off the hook. And then he declared his deity. If you knew who I am, the Father will glorify me. When was Jesus glorified? At the resurrection. When he died on the cross and he rose again. That's when the Son was glorified. That's when the Father was pleased. Do you want to make God smile? Do what He asks you to do. Jesus did. The Father asked the Son to come to earth, to add to Himself humanity, to die for sins for everybody. Universal opportunity. So that anyone would have access to forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus did that, He made the Father smile. Tonight we're going to celebrate communion. And communion is just that. It's a reminder and a memorial of what Jesus did to give us life. The bread and the cup, they don't save you. There's nothing magical in the cracker and the grape juice. But what they represent is love incarnate and obedience. The fellowship that we have when we take the cracker and the grape juice together is the fellowship between the children of God and our Savior Lord Jesus before our Father that's in heaven. The bread represents the body of Jesus that took on the full wrath of His Father. I shared this morning at the men's study and it's something that's been powerful in my mind. When Jesus died and said it's finished, He said this, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. It's as if Jesus was falling into the hands of His Father 
done, completed. And the Father caught him. Stephen would say the same thing. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Falling into the hands of the Father. When we celebrate communion, we're saying, God, thank you, because all I can do is fall into your hands, and you've caught me. You have me. And my sins, gone. The cup represents the blood. The sacrifice that Jesus made. You know, the love of a father towards his child, immeasurable. The love of God towards you, immeasurable. When you take the bread and you take the cup, and and we'll have a time of, of music as the worship team comes up, just to think about it. When you take the bread and then take the cup, really think about what love is and what love has done. And the fact that you can fall into the hands of your father. And he's got you in any sit, any set of circumstances, situations. What would keep you from taking communion tonight? Well, like I said earlier, if you've got sin that you're not willing to get rid of, don't take communion. Why else? If you're not a child of God, don't take communion. This is part of a relationship between the... Us and our Father. And as we take these elements, we do so in honor of Him. Feel free to come up any time during this. We'll wait till everybody's served and we'll take it together. Let me pray. God, I thank You that we can be in this place, that we can honor You. Lord Jesus, we know that You are our Father. We know this because of the Spirit that You have given into us. Holy Spirit within us confirms that we are children of the Most High. That our sins are forgiven. I pray even right now though for those that maybe are struggling. Saying, I don't know. God, I don't know. I, I, I don't hear your voice. I, I, I don't know. Even before we take communion, you can know. If you believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord and you, you confess it with your mouth that He saved you from your sins. And you pray, God, give me your Spirit. He will confirm that. And you'll be saved. God, I thank You for this time. Holy Spirit, lead us as we just spend time before the throne of grace and worship. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Come up whenever you're ready. Everyone said... Amen. Praise Jesus. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.